Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About. I'm Gina Tremarco, sales trainer at Sales Gravy, who also sponsors this podcast. So thank you, Sales Gravy. And speaking of women your mother warned you about, I think today's guest is one of those women. And I love her because she reminds me of me. So a little background, she's the Latin version of me. I'm even though I've got the Latin in me, she is Latin. She's Cuban, as a matter of fact. But let's talk a little bit more about Mitch Savoy Hill. She is joining us today. She's a certified professional coach, international TEDx speaker, published author, and corporate trainer with over 25 years of hospitality and leadership experience. She started in the hospitality industry as I, I love this as a singing waitress in New York City. I did not know this about her when she was 18 years old and later went on to manage teams for international companies in the hospitality, real estate management, and construction industries. We have so much in common. I mean, even industries. She is first-generation American, born to Cuban exiles, which, God, I hope we have enough time. We might have to do multiple episodes to hear the Cuban exile story. I love a good story like that because I am daughter of immigrants as well who survived a myriad of adventures and her fair share of discrimination and adversity. She now dedicates herself to coaching individuals and teams on how to overcome their roadblocks to success and has authored an inspiring instructional book on the subject. Welcome, Mitch, to the show. Thank you. You are so welcome. I fell in love with you when I met you at an MPI meeting in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you introduced me to the group because I was doing a small, a little talk for them. And and you're like the best, like hype woman to like introduce (laughs) you as a speaker knew exactly how to introduce another speaker. And we just have a really good chemistry together and we hit it off immediately. And I'm like, you have to come on the show. And that's just because of your energy because you talk about DEI, which I get a lot of questions on and do I do training in that? And I'm like, it's not my lane, but now I got a girl for that. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so honored to be among one of the women <laughs> that your mother warned you about. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Oh, and I'm like looking at the rest of your bio here. Oh, you! I didn't even realize that I didn't even get far enough that you attended New York University, NYU's renowned Tisch School of the Arts, where she mastered the skill of theater. And you've got to read that story in my My book because it's quite a story how I got into the school. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about the book. Is is the book Volar? Yes. Yes, the book is Volar. 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 We're going to talk about Volar. And you How say, you... so, so, see, you have such a sexy way of saying Volar. Volar. And Robert. Volar. <laughs> Which is an acronym. So we're going to get into that. How to turn roadblocks into runways to success. I have a feeling this show is going to just not just be a runway. We're going to run away with this <laughs> show. A scenario. So, scenario. So let's, yeah, let's dive into, let's dive into the book. I want to first know, like, what I'm always asking as I'm an aspiring author who is about to go on a weekend getaway to write. So I'm super excited to, like, get some massive writing out of the way. What inspired you to write this book? 
it's partly my abuela Lilia, who I speak about a lot in the book. Uh-huh. And I quote her. There's a lot of parts that are in Spanish, and then I do an immediate translation. So for Spanish speakers, there are going to be some sayings that were that we grew up listening to, and we're like, oh, yes, heard that in my household. And for those who don't speak Spanish, I think it's funny when you do translating, you go, oh, so for example, my grandmother always used to say, one of the things I talk about is, don't drown in a glass of water. I, Michi, she would say, don't drown in a glass of water. Don't drown in a glass of water. Anytime that you were feeling overwhelmed and here, this coming from a woman who escaped a dictatorship, left everything behind and arrived in Miami with nothing but her babies in hand, not even mm. a formal education, and went on to start and successfully run several businesses. Wow. You can do that in Miami. You could get away with that. <laughs> well, yeah, doesn't Miami like mini Cuba? Okay, there we go. There we go. But my grandmother was such an inspiration to me since I was a child. And she took me when I was nine because my mom was having a really difficult time with my little brother and me. And she was a single mom. And my grandma took me in. And she's my paternal grandma. And I learned from her so much because she was a businesswoman. She was also an amazing cook. And every day after coming home from work, she would make from scratch this amazing Cuban meal and have a pristinely clean house and picked up every stray cat and dog that anybody had. I mean, she just, I'm honored to be one of the strays that she picked up, but she had this immense heart and a way of connecting with people, which made her a really great businesswoman. And I learned and I just watched and I listened. I listened to her stories and her life lessons so that I was on my own by the time I was 18. And I saw a lot of really what would seem to be insurmountable difficulties. And I surpassed them by a lot of what I learned from Lilia. And that eventually became Volad. And when I became a coach, I started to help a lot of people overcome their own adversities or make very big shifts or start a new business or leave a toxic work environment behind, which is as because you're a coach, really difficult. People will stay in a toxic relationship, toxic job for fear. Yeah. For fear of the unknown when yeah. they just jumped the other side is so much better. So yeah. helping people to do that, figuring out what are the tools that I use, I kind of distilled that into Volad, because speakers love acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. But it's also the vision of Volad, the image of a bird flying over these obstacles of freedom, of flight. So many times in my life, I had to fly away from things. My family had to fly away, literally fly away from danger in Cuba. So that that vision was part of the inspiration as well. And so that th this is my what I say, my book of tools, tactics, practical exercises, and sometimes hilariously tragic stories. <laughs> this is why I love you so much, because I have hilarious, tragic stories. Yes, you do. You're not a stranger to adversity yourself. I've heard yeah. a little bit of your story now, yes. so I know. Yes, exactly. You did hear the story and story pulls people in. And I think people love an underdog and a happy ending, right? And uh, people gravitate to that. 
So Valar actually it gives him hope. It yeah, gives, it, it gives him hope. If you see somebody else doing it, if you watch enough stories, if you see enough movies where somebody overcomes these obstacles, you think, oh, shoot, maybe I can too. Yeah. Maybe my situation isn't that bad. Yeah. If we can put ourselves in those stories. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about adversity <clears throat> in sales, right, we're always trying to overcome something in sales. And we often talk about like, make yourself resilient, make yourself rejection proof. Yes. Getting through the adversity is going to help you get the sale, get the deal, get whatever it is that you want. You don't necessarily have to be in sales either, right? It's about persuading others to help you get what you want, right? Yeah, it's funny you say that because when I do sales training or I talk about, I put Volat up against how do you use this when you have a big sales goal, for example, and I'll say, okay, raise your hand if you're in sales. Some people raise their hand and I look around, okay, good. I said, now raise your hand if you're a parent. Now these people raise their hand. I'm like, sorry to tell you, you're all in sales. <laughs> exactly. So let's dive into this, into the Velar. And I'm just looking at the overview of it. It's a five-step formula for achieving personal, professional, or group goals, despite the roadblock. So Obviously, five steps, you broke it down in the acronym. But Valar also has a meaning in Spanish, right? Which is to soar. Yes. Right? So to soar uh, through the situation. But let's break down some of this formulas, starting with the V. So the V is where it all begins. The V is for vision. And you have to have, you have to have a vision, but you also have to be clear in your vision. A lot of times people come to me as a coach and they're not quite clear in their vision. So, for example, you, they say, well, my goal is to get sales up. And you say, oh, okay, well, what's the number? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> well, sales up, up from where? Up from what? What's the number? What is the destination that you're trying to arrive at? That's the vision. It's yeah. not fitting to get started to plan on maybe becoming a... No, no. What's the vision? What's the final outcome that you're looking for? And it doesn't have to be final. There could be more after that, right? But what's the beginning? What's the first step yeah. you want to reach? That's the vision. And for a group, I always say, if you want to, if you want a group to get on board with a vision as a leader, you've got to find out what about that vision motivates each individual. And they go, well, a paycheck should motivate them. Right? Oh my God, that makes me crazy. <laughs> and yes, people will do, will go enough for a paycheck. But they won't go above and beyond just for a paycheck. Yeah. What does a paycheck mean to them? Is it, Joe, we're going to hit this goal and you're going to put another chunk into that college fund for your kid? Is it, Mitch, yeah. I know you want to go to Italy. We're going to hit this goal and you're going to be all that closer to Italy, right? What about the vision inspires and motivates each person in that team and speak to that? And that's what a lot of leaders fall short on. Yeah. Yeah. So you it's not, yeah. And it's not just a, a company vision, right? It's actually understanding the individual's vision. Right. And then aligning the visions. Right. Right. That's the winning formula right there. That's right. And in a family vision organization, if you belong to an organization or you sit on a committee, I've seen so many committees just running at different directions because they don't have a solidified vision. 
a clear vision. So vision is always where it begins. Vision is also what pulls us through when adversity hits. Yeah. You go back to that vision. You go back to really feeling it, thinking of what is my life going to be like if I am there once yeah. I arrive. Yeah. Well, vision helps to push us through those roadblocks because they will come because that is life. <laughs> it's what vision is like the backbone. Yes. Right. That holds yes. it all together. That's right. And then the O in Valad is for opportunity. And I like to say, when opportunity comes to your door, you must raise your hand and say, see, pay, 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 out. <laughs> <laughs> that means yes, please. See, <laughs> 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 Okay. And tell me a little, part. tell me a little bit more about the opportunity. So a lot of times I coach a lot of women executives and I see this in men and women. I think it, it is a human nature affliction, but we talk a lot about imposter syndrome or just the fear of raising our hands when opportunities do come to the door or not even seeing them around us, being blinded to opportunities around us while we stop ourselves. So this is where we really work on how to overcome that, how to see opportunities for what they are, how to seize the opportunity and how to sometimes create the opportunities. I mean, I'm a business owner. I'm a small business owner. I created my own opportunity from a vision that I had that I just wasn't going to get anywhere else. I had, yeah. to, I knew I had to do my own thing. I had to be my own boss. And boy, do I love that. <laughs> what but was I the, that? yeah. And what was the opportunity that you created ultimately? What was your vision to then create the opportunity? The vision was working for a living or doing something for a living where I was helping people, I was connecting with people, I was sharing my expertise and my stories with people and that somehow that would empower them or help them. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, I knew it had to do with speaking and it had to do with coaching because those were the parts of my whole career that I loved most. When I was a director of sales, I loved the coaching and mentoring of my sales team. That, that lit me up, right? Mm -hmm. When they had wins and they'd say, man, I'm dead this and I wish I did this. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah. Loved that, yeah. Right? And I wanted to do that all the time. I wanted to do that full time and be on stage and speak. So again, big vision. I wasn't sure at first how I was going to get there, but I was going to look at opportunities and with opportunities comes the El Volad, which is Lean on your resources, just mm. like opportunities. Resources abound, but we don't see them. We don't recognize them. We don't lean on them. We don't ask for help. And often, again, I see this more in women than in men. Uh, I was something marginalized communities like yeah. asking for help. Right. Yeah. Why do you think we struggle, whether it's women or marginalized communities? Why is the struggle there so much more? Part of it is a lack of trust, right? When I did live with my mother, I grew up in a very low income neighborhood and things weren't really given to you. <laughs> I mean, even in the schools, you, you didn't have a lot of resources, so you weren't used to having resources. And I'll give you just a real quick example. Going to the bathroom, my, my little brother who was on my mother's side reminded me of this the other day, going to the bathroom. In second grade, I'd stand in line or if you raise your hand and ask the teacher to go to the bathroom, she would pull out a roll of toilet paper and give you one, two, three sheets. That's what you'd get 
to go to the bathroom. There was no toilet paper or paper in the bathroom. She'd count one, two, three sheets. And my brother reminded me, I said, am I remembering that right? And he said, three sheets. He, that's what I said. He said, yeah, the three sheets. You'd get three squares of toilet paper. So for the boys, they didn't automatically get that. So if boys ask for it, then they, all the other boys know that I'm going to do number two, right? So they wouldn't ask for it because they'd be ashamed or embarrassed, right? So you're just, you're used to going without and you're used to not having resources. So you start to not trust when somebody is offering you a resource sometimes. So that's one yeah, of the- That's the so fascinating. <laughs> I mean, the three sheets is fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. Something I've never heard of before. We don't know what we don't know. And right. we don't understand, we don't always understand how someone came up, but it is a really interesting take on the trust piece of it, right? Because, oh, I'm just kind of mind blown by that, right? Like, oh, you're offering me that? There must be something. Yeah, what's Th the hitch? There's a mistrust of the system. There's a mistrust of resources. And then the flip side of that is the deserving. I don't deserve it. Some some of us come up from that and feel like we don't deserve to ask. We don't deserve to to take. Mm. It's not real. That resource is there for us. Or pride. Oh, I came up on my own. I repped it. I'm not going to ask anybody for help. I don't need to ask anybody for help. I'm going to do it on my own. I don't want to let anybody know that I'm struggling. Yeah. And so, again, we don't lean on resources that are around us, like mentors, like fellows in our fellow colleagues while we're saying, hey, I'm having a hard time. How do you deal with this? No, I don't want to. I don't want to let anybody know I'm struggling. Right. So that's the pride piece there. There's a lot of reasons why people don't see or reach out or lean on those yeah. resources, but we don't get ahead if we don't. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I would imagine the leaning on falls. I think it impacts anybody and everybody but all differently, right? Because as you were kind of walking through that, I think of I think of men in general, right? There's a pride factor, right? Which is different than a, I don't deserve it or I don't trust you. Right. Right. So there's different degrees of why they're not going to lean in. Right. But I think psychologically, this is really something to be aware of, especially in sales, of why people react the way they do in a sales process is if they're your prospect or even you as a seller. They might you, not trust you. They might just not be trust. They might be very guarded. Right. And you're promising them the world and then some, and they're like, yeah, I don't know. And they're, good. Like, Too good. they're like, yeah, three, three sheets. <laughs> One, two, three. Yes. Oh my gosh. Which brings us to the A. And you have to have the V. You have to have the O and you have to have the L before you get to the A, which is actualize a plan. I use that word actualize because it, it denotes action, right? Yeah. I was going to guess it was action. <laughs> actualize. Okay. As many people, how many times have we, it happens to the best of us, right? We have a plan like starting a good dinner or something where we're like, every day we're with enthusiasm. And then, Mitch, every day I got a plan for the day. And it just goes off the rails. Yep. That's right. So actualizing a plan. It's, some people are really great planners, but how well do they actually execute that plan? Yeah. And so I talk a lot about the pitfalls to poor planning, which are things like making the plan too convoluted that nobody on your team can even understand or making the plan too difficult 
and unachievable or making it too vague where it's just, I'm going to prospect more. Okay, what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Is it two sales calls a day? That's specific, right? I'm going to do two sales calls a day. I'm going to, I'm going to do more sales call. Again, not specific yeah. enough. Yeah. But I also love to live by the kiss rule. You know what the mm, kiss rule yeah. is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Keep it simple, sexy. I mean, stupid. <laughs> I, I have to ask people what this rule means because I get all kinds of answers. That simple, sweetie. That's my Southern Belle client. <laughs> I've heard keep it simple and scheduled. I love that. I like that. <laughs> and I love just to say keep it stupid simple. Oh, I like that. I like that one. Keep it Doesn't stupid mean simple. easy, but it means simple, doable. You can think it. It's got yeah. it, it's got a finality to it. So have a plan stick to it, keep it stupid, simple. So for my coaching clients, I have them work on three things in three months. So you've got the big vision. What are three things you can really focus on doing in the next three months that's going to get you closer to that? So that could be if it's a big sales goal, two sales calls a day, go through my prospect sheet and mail everybody a little handwritten thank you card for doing business with me and send a monthly newsletter with something of value to my clients, right? That's it. Three things. Simple, not easy. (laughs) But doable, simple, you can check it off. You can see if you're tracking or not, right? You can wrap your head around it. Right. You can wrap your head around it. You can get others to wrap their heads around it. So they can go, oh, okay, yeah, that's, you can set the expectation much more easily. Yeah. All right, go on. So many leaders I hear, go on and give me more sales. What does that mean? Yes. 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 How much more sales? How much more sales? One more sale? Or I hear when I love when I do this as a keynote and I actually make people work each of these steps a little bit and talk, okay, tell, share with your neighbor what you're going to do. So one I hear a lot is I'm going to make a six figure income. And I go, well, which six figure? Cause that's a big difference. Which six figure? A hundred thousand or 999,000? Very different figures. Yep. Be more specific, right? <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. You do, you have to be specific with what you're going to do. And you know that as a sales coach, I mean, you know that as, you know, somebody who works a lot in sales, right? You have to be specific. And then the R and Valar is recalibrate when necessary. Because as we all have learned now, if you didn't know it before, shift happens. <laughs> and you got to be willing to flow with it. You have such a powerful story around COVID and your shifts and what you had to do to shift. And you did. You shifted and everything changed, but you shifted, maybe changed the vision a little bit, leaned on different opportunities and resources, actualized your own plan and boom. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. And that's to me the power of, I know we were talking about the power of different things before we started recording, but that to me is power of the improv, which which is my lane because improvising is so much about pivoting. When I did own my own business, it was called Pivot 10 Results for a reason, like because it was because the word pivot and improvise to me are, are very, they're synonyms, right? They're, it's like you have to be able to shift really quickly on a dime and and be okay with it and actually like look forward to it and be like, oh, what's going to come of this shift? 
be excited about the shift. Yeah, I think about pivot and I don't know that many people thought about this during that time, but I think about pivot as a dancer when, yeah. when it would say your, your focus was still forward and then you do a quick, it's a quick turn and it's an exciting quick turn. And sometimes you can fall on your ass. And sometimes if you don't do the turn wrong, you can hurt something. But if you get it right, it's the most beautiful, quick, slick yeah. move. And you're still, you're right back onto the focus, forward focus, pivot, yeah. forward focus, right? Yeah. I always think of a dancer that I love that. I always love pivoting as a dancer. <laughs> In salsa and, and merengue, I mean, the pivot is beautiful. It's just like hot drama, right? <laughs> well, especially if you embrace it that way. Right. If you embrace the pivot as beautiful. I love um, pivot. Yeah, embrace a, a book that I recommend to a lot of my clients is called A Beautiful Constraint. And it's one of my favorite books because it talks about the constraints that we're up against, but how do we see the beauty in the constraint? And when you change your perspective on that obstacle and you see the beauty in it, even when I get frustrated with something, I go, oh, reel it back in, Gina. <laughs> if we were to look at this, like, what's good? about this situation let's reframe it and every time i reframe it that way it seems to be a cool situation but 10 minutes ago it was horrible right right or what can i learn from this situation because sometimes let's face it the situation isn't good i mean i've talked about this and had somebody say my husband just died what is good about that no super rainbow and volar and beautiful viewpoint is going to change that my husband died and it was terrible and i said yes but your adversity is your advantage and she said how could that be and i said because someday and i know this sucks what you're going through right now but someday one of your fellow sisters here will be going through this maybe and you're the only person who will understand. You might be the only person that can reach out and hold their hand and say, sister, I've been here. I've got you. Yeah. And that's powerful. And that's using your adversity to your advantage. So it doesn't yeah. mean that everything's good and everything can be made good, but you can learn from it. Yeah. At least I believe that. Uh, well, I'm with you on that. I probably have a master's degree in adversity. Or doctorates. No, it's no, more can I, <laughs> I think I definitely have a doctorate in adversity. And here you are, strong and beautiful and bold and doing what you love, right? Yeah. Well, and I again I find the thrill in the adversity. I mean, I'm not like outgoing, like give me adversity, but right. even now I feel so blessed in my life with everything that I have. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, don't get too cocky. Meaning I'm grateful for it and I'm going to stay present in it. But life is a roller coaster and there will be more adversity. That's called life. I've listened to people and my mom was a pretty negative person, but I've listened to people say things like, when am I ever going to get a break? When am I ever going to get a break? And I'm like, well, life is a series of you get a break, you don't get a break. You get a break, you don't get a break. That's what it, that, and everything that we do in business and in sales is about that too. I get a deal, I don't get a deal. I, 
right? A deal goes through, a deal dies. You get back up and you keep pushing through it. But that's something that you have to be able, again, to see it as an opportunity and a resource. And there are some people that are hell-bent on being victims. And that's not the people I coach, right? (laughs) Amen. Everything's against me. And I had similarly family members that are very comfortable in their victim role. And everything's against me and everything's against me. And I remember even as a little kid telling these family members, I don't know where I got this because I was pretty young, but I, I had this idea that, hey, life gives everybody a hammer and a nail. Now, some people look at that hammer and nail and say, what is, what is this? When, look at this. I'm so jet. Life only gave me a hammer and a nail. What am I going to do with this? And some people look at that hammer and nail and say, what am I going to build with this? So you choose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really great analogy. I like that. Yeah. Build- little Mitch. <laughs> little Mitch. Little, well, let's talk a little bit about little Mitch. who grew up into Big Mitch. One of the things that got us into a conversation in person was the fact that a lot of what you focus on is in DEI. And we started to have this conversation, I think last week sometime too, about this. It's not a lane that I'm in on purpose because it's not my ballywick. I think you got to pick a lane and kind of stay in that lane. But I don't know. I kind of want to dive into... There's so much going on in this world. And I'd love to hear just some of the things you're seeing and perspectives you're seeing. There's a lot of frustration over how to refer to people, how to talk to people, how to how to get through without offending people and what are the right things. And I think I mentioned to you that I knew at one point, I'm like, okay, I've become the old person who needs educating And I'm a huge believer in, I don't think people inherently want to be jerks. I think that oftentimes we're just ignorant, right? We're ignorant because we're not in in a certain environment and we can't put ourselves there to understand people and what they're going through. And I think I brought this story up to you about in sales, we're always trying to find commonality and connecting. And me as a woman who loves her hair, I'm always connecting with other women about hair. And I was telling a story about like connecting where I was getting on a call with a prospect and she had this beautiful hair. And I was like, oh my gosh, you've got such beautiful hair. And another woman hearing me tell this story was like, you can't do that. I'm like, do what? You can't compliment a woman on her hair. I'm like, I miss that in the... HR memo. I'm like, <laughs> why can't I, why can't I compliment a woman on her hair? She's like, you're not, you you can't, you know, that I just went through a special training on this and you cannot compliment women on their appearance. And I'm like, okay, all right. I will not, I'm so confused. And I'm like, and I told our HR person, I'm like, maybe Maybe we need some training on this because I don't know what the rules are anymore. So I'm just going to drop that right there as a conversation starter. Drop that right there. As a conversation starter for you, because we're interfacing as salespeople with all kinds of people every day. And on a completely separate note, I think about my stepson who is in situations where he 
goes to school with kids who identify as cats and have kitty litter boxes in their restrooms, right? And so, and that's real for people who are identifying that way. But <laughs> there we go. I put that right in front of you, Mitch. So, so first, I want to make sure to clarify because, believe it or not, some people still ask me, "What is the EI? What is perfect? That mean? What, perfect. what do those letters mean?" So, DEI. And now you're hearing more and more DEIB. So DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. B is for belonging. Okay. Sometimes you'll hear it as Jedi, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And it's all, we're talking about the same thing, which is an understanding or the attempt to get everyone to get a better understanding of people from diverse backgrounds, upbringings, cultures, other abilities, because even we're talking a lot about neurodiversity now and understanding when people are neurodiverse that they might react a little bit different or act a little different. Their social cues might be a little different. So diversity is just, you know, what inherently the world is diverse. I mean, we have all kinds of differences, right? Equity is about really bringing everybody to a level playing field. And so, for example, I love this example when people ask me equality versus equity. Well, equality means everybody gets the same, but equity is everybody gets exactly what they need to bring them up to level playing field. And inclusion just means what it, to me, inclusion and belonging kind of go together. And I think that if I feel included, I feel like I belong. But there's some DEI speakers and practitioners and consultants who separate it. And again, this is, I fell into, the, I said, I fell into this lane. I did it in, at the beginning, pick this lane, but I did a TED talk called Which Box Do I Check? About being first generation American of Afro-Cuban parents and not knowing at many points in my life which box to check when they ask, mm-hmm. well, are you white? Are you black? Well, n- neither, both, not sure. Are you Hispanic? Are you American? Are yes and right? All of it, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and, the, and that TED Talk led to a lot of people asking me to speak on the subject that I still didn't know that. I didn't think I knew that much about, but I started to take more certification classes and educate myself. And I started to feel like the old, the same, like, am I outdated? There's things I don't know. There's things that I say that were cool back in the nineties, but they're not cool to say now among my LGBTQ friends, for example, right? There were certain terms that were thrown around and now they're not okay. So language is evolving. Our understanding of each other is evolving. And as this evolves, we're trying to make corrections. So here's where we go back to the, I can't say anything now, right? I've got to be careful that I don't say anything. For so long, people have suffered, been the victim of microaggressions, of people, maybe a black woman having people come up and just touch their hair without permission. And go, ooh, wow, tell me about that. Ooh, different. Ooh, strange. Making them feel like an animal right at the zoo. Then I had that. I had very long, kinky, curly hair. And I had people always coming up and just touching my hair, like pulling my curls. And it might have been an admiration, but it's like the little drops. It's like death by a thousand cuts. You know what I mean? Like every mm-hmm. day, every day, every day. People, are, it's like, wow. oh, enough with my hair. Right? Yeah. yeah. It didn't come from a bad place. Sometimes it did come from a bad place. 
So what you're, what we're experiencing right now, I think socially is an autocorrect. It's the pendulum swinging really abruptly in the other side. And at some point it'll come to the middle. But yes, right now it's, it's trying to make reparation for many ages of people who have been historically the victims of microaggressions or outright aggressions, whether you're LGBTQ, whether you grew up in, in a very low income neighborhood like I did for the first part of my life, whether you're Latina or Italian. We talked about being Italian and how Italians were regarded in New York back in the day. So we've all had some form. We've probably all as women, we've gone through microaggressions, right? But the whole subject, or at least for me, as it's what I bring, or I feel like I my goal to bring to the table when I do a DEI training or a DEI talk is to facilitate conversation and storytelling. Because I think at the heart of it, if I tell you my story and you know where I come from and you know that my mom was on welfare and it wasn't because she was a lazy alcoholic, it was because of a situation she was put in and that welfare helped her to then feed us and later get her degree as a medical assistant. And then she spent decades paying lots of taxes and helping people through the medical field. So that's a story. So we tell stories and we hear some of the negative stories. And sometimes the media pushes all of the negative stories and we hear none of the inspiring stories or the stories that make you understand better where people come from. And so that's my goal is to just get people talking and having uncomfortable conversations sometimes, but in a very respectful way and with a lot of grace so that then they can start to understand, okay, I can celebrate your differences and I can also celebrate where we are common. Mm-hmm. We are the same where we are just human beings trying to do the best we can in this world. And it's a difficult subject. I mean, I, you can teach sales. We know sales, right? We know yeah. overcoming adversity. We, I can teach you how to set expectations with a, a direct report and how to get the best out of your team, right? And how to engage on stage. DEI is a little different. I'm going to tell you, it's sometimes even for me uncomfortable because there's questions that sometimes come up that I don't always know how to answer. Somebody asked me, well, aren't some stereotypes good in one of my DEI training? And all I could do as a response is to ask, well, tell me more about that or tell me more about that and let him talk it through. And then eventually in him talking it through, he was like, oh, yeah, well, I can see where that. Oh, yeah. Sometimes there's the answer is in, well, where, what is your intention? Or some people are like, well, why is that a microaggression? It wasn't my intention. And so, okay, well, then we need to educate ourselves better. Maybe what to say, what not to say. And so I think that it's uncomfortable for people who are now being held accountable for things that maybe weren't weren't brought to their attention before. And it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Oh, I said the wrong thing. I don't even know what to say. But I think it's a small price to pay that temporary embarrassment to learn something and then connect better. I think that's the goal, at least for me, when I talk about the guys, how can we connect better? How can we stop fighting amongst each other? How can we just solve some common problems by working together? And that's my goal, at least. That's what DI means to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so help me with this. Compliment or not compliment a woman, another woman? I think it depends on your rapport with that woman, right? You and I have a rapport. You tell me my hair looks fabulous. Thank you, because I spent a lot of money and time on it, right? If I don't know somebody, I might not jump at that right away. And I'm one, I'm a complimenter. I'm a girl, I love that dress. I love that color on you. I love your hair. So 
I've had to even, if I don't know that person, I build the rapport first. Yeah. And that's yeah. sales 101, right? Build the rapport first. Yeah. And just like I say, the other thing is like tokenizing, right? You meet your first, for example, you're the one transgender person I've ever met. So I'm going to ask you everything I've never wanted to know about transgender people. It's like, well, establish a rapport first. <laughs> or I get asked, well, Mitch, how do I approach you to get the Latina woman's point of view? To which I answer, well, you can't because if you ask for my point of view, you're going to get Mitch's point of view. And that may not be every single Latina that's back up to you. <laughs> you have that many Latinas and see if there's a commonality, right? Yeah, that's a good point. You got to do the work. That's a good, even just if you take the the broad scope of women, right? Regardless of Latina, Caucasian. Whatever, right? Right? Like just the whim, the woman card. We we all have different perspective on that. As when I started this show in particular, we were really clear. We're like, listen, this is a show by two women at the time who your mother warned you about, who want to hear from other women your mother warned you about. And P.S. We love men, so we are not. I have a tendency to lean more conservative, but I think I'm a good blend of both. And my attitude is like, I'm not so strong on one side that I can't see how important it is to have a man's point of view. That's why I have a man on the show every few weeks. And in that's general, awesome. and that's smart. Right. Yeah, we I, like I want the guy's point of view before the show started. We were talking about menopause, which is an episode coming out. And a couple of years ago, we did a whole show on menstruation, which was a male's suggestion. And I'm like, what? But he wanted to give his perspective. Wow. And he was actually the man who recommended the book I told you about earlier. But he wanted to give he wanted to give perspective and open a dialogue about yeah, it. Yeah, see, there's allies everywhere. My my husband is a white American male. His family's from South Georgia. And and they uh, bless her heart, right? I, that's where I learned the Let's her on it, what it really means. <laughs> yeah. They're like, who is this lady? Women your mother warned you about, right? No, they're fabulous. They're such an inclusive family and they are, they're so wonderful. And they, but my husband is one of those that has like the bleeding heart for him as a male, him as a white male. He's always very much working hard to educate himself to be a good ally. And so that's the point. We need allies. We need men to be allies. If women are going to grow in their leadership and, and be more empowered, and we need allies in all different areas of this DEI world. Mm -hmm. So to be a good ally, you have to be you have to be educated and you have to educate yourself by re lean on your resources, right? Google's my friend sometimes, but don't believe everything you read on Google, right? Read different stories, read stories from different perspectives. I say increase your cultural IQ. Increase your cultural IQ by watching movies, reading books from people, authors, writers, directors of different yeah. backgrounds. Good point. Right? That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, a really good that. one. Because the first thing that came to my mind was the importance of having conversations. And to your point, they're difficult. But this is what I've learned. I, I need to ask, like, what is what is your perspective? 
coming for the walking your walk so that I understand it. And I don't know if you and I had talked about this, but I had, I'd sat on a diversity council for my local chamber for a few years and I was the eager white girl and I was one of the, <laughs> like one of two white girls on the council. And I'm like, okay, I, I need help. I was that, <laughs> I don't want to say obnoxious, but I was just li- like dying to be educated, dying thir- for of thirst for education because I had been criticized for running an improv comedy theater with all white faces. And I'm like, I don't want to have all white faces. It's not the intention. I don't know how to have other that I don't help me. How do I attract it? How do I find it? How do I diversify? We want that. I mean, to the point where we would cast people of color. I hate to say it just for their color and not their talent. Right. Yeah, they, I mean, it's not an uncommon reach, even HR, HR departments and managers who reach for, well, we're just going to do the diversity hire, right? When it should be, I mean, people should still be hired based on their talent, but it just means you have to widen your net. And that's hard, right? That takes a little, that takes yeah. a break. That takes a work, but yeah, but I understand and I appreciate that you, and you have that, you're, you've got an Italian background. You have a very ethnic background. So it's, uh, you yourself come from a whole blend of stories and people who are white Americans, generations of white America that tell me, well, I don't really have an ethnicity, so I don't have anything to say. And I said, of course you do too. We all have a story. We all have a culture. But we do. And so the question should be, what's your story? I think that's a better question than what's your perspective as a Latina or somebody with an Italian background. Or And I've had, I've sat on a DEI panel where somebody at the end said, well, we love that Mitch was on it, but wouldn't it have been better not to have a white woman sit on this DEI panel and I've said, first of all, I'm Afro-Cuban. Oh, I didn't know. And I'm like, well, you didn't ask, right? So we can't assume things either right so it's it's what's your story i think the best question to ask is what your what's your story and then yeah, you learn that i love that i love that funny sh- short story along with that when i first joined this council it was a new council and it was a three-year term and then year two comes along and it was the first day of year two and i remember a black woman saying she was really frustrated with the council she said last year Everybody looked like me. And this year, it doesn't anymore. And I got offended, right? Because I'm like, I'm a woman. I still fall into this somewhere. I'm not a black woman, but I'm a what? Hey, I'm a woman. I'm pretty sure I fall in to this DEI stuff, Right. And that's that, that to me is fascinating that we have the ownership of what's our world. Right. Right. And the fact that we get offended, right? We make it about us. Like you said, you got offended. Yeah. She was just stating a feeling. She was stating a perception. Yeah. There was more representation. I felt represented. Now I don't. Yeah. Right. And our, and sometimes our first response to it is to feel offended. Right. But it's not. It was an expression of, I don't feel represented. And representation matters. It does matter when right. you see yourself or suddenly you don't. 
I mean, that would raise questions too. What happened that maybe those people of color didn't feel included anymore, didn't feel like they belong there anymore? Maybe not, but that's something, that's a good question. You go, you're right. That's a fact. It was very broad. Now it's not. We should look into that, right? We should We should just even, what happened there? But also, no, I th- and I think someone actually stood up and stated, well, let's look at who's here in the room, right? We added someone with a disability. We added someone who was gay. We added, now granted, maybe those that were added were white. And so now it looks like it's a skin color change, right? That that she could be feeling that. And to your right. point, we're all feeling so represent- I'm not represented anymore, kind of. And so it's yeah. just, and so in those situations, rather than making it about us, staying back to your yes and yes. And we should look into what, yeah, what happened there. And we should, I think we also looked at like, Part of it went back to what was the vision for this council? What was the mission for this council? It was to represent a big pool. And so it's taking us a while to bring in the big pool. And it's not necessarily about how we all look either. It's about our story and how it fits into that. Right. I talk a lot about unseen diversity. There's a lot of unseen diversity too. people that different religions, different affiliations, different frames of mind that might not feel represented in a group either just because everybody thinks one way. Yeah. And they make it very uncomfortable for anybody who doesn't think that way. Right. So that's a unseen diversities, unseen disabilities. So it's like I said, I think that we're experiencing a hard correct to a problem of ages. Yeah. So you're going to see a hard correct and it's going to yeah. be a little uncomfortable for a while or maybe very uncomfortable. And my hope is that it'll come back to a good center. Yeah. But it's only going to come back to center if we have a lot of really open-minded conversations and we take the ego out of it. Otherwise, what it's going to come to is civil war, is more war, yeah. is more fighting, is more. Yeah. And there's people that are, there are people that are not well-intentioned and they profit from that. And yeah. they would like to see nothing more than people fighting instead of having those open, graceful conversations. So I guess it has inadvertently become my mission to spark graceful, deep conversations and get us all to see that there are things that we can come to common ground here. Yeah, I love that. So I think as a takeaway for this, having segued into this category is for our listeners. And by the way, you can watch this on YouTube now so you can see how pretty we are. Um, and have there, sorry, okay, my take my hair. <laughs> my takeaway, your, be- your hair is beautiful. My takeaway is what's your story? And if you feel uncomfortable and you feel like, I don't know what's okay to say, which I hear that all the time, I don't know what's okay to say, then ask, ask what's okay to say. What is another your- answer might be different for different people, and that's exactly, okay. and that's okay, that's okay. Do I hug somebody or don't hug somebody? I'm a hugger, right? But I just kind of try to feel them out before I go in for the hug, right? And it's right. the same kind of thing, right? Is to try to right. feel people out before I say you got great hair. I'm going to feel you out before <laughs> before I say you've got. Feel great me hair. out. They'll feel me up. Exactly. I'll feel you out. Now fill you up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Sorry, we had to throw a little irreverence in here. We had to. It is a real, raw, relevant, <laughs> and she took that the irreverent part, but a little, sometimes oh. irreverent conversations, right? You know what? We have to have a little irreverence to get past the tension. 
Laughter, to me, I believe laughter is the biggest dissolver of yeah. <laughs> We got to be able to laugh at all of these things. So, um, oh, wait, we, wait, one more Cuban saying that that leads right into before we go. Yes, please. I can read, but I know your dad. And that I is, reír, but I know your dad. We have to laugh so that we don't cry. Yes. I didn't realize there was a Latin saying for that. I say that all the time. I love that. Well, I got the Latin blood. And yes, quick, as, quick aside, when I was in college trying to get with an agent, get with an agency so I could be represented by a talent agency. This is back in the early 90s. I struggled and I gave up quickly on getting an agent because I was told I looked too ethnic. So how the times have changed. I looked too ethnic and that was like, what are you talking about? So I had the same thing in acting right? school, same thing. Yeah. Look, look too ethnic, which meant I was not the blonde girl next door. No offense, blonde girls next door. So well, we love you too, blonde girls. We, yes, we do. For those of us who did not look that way back in right. the 80s and the 90s. It, it, very rough in the 80s and the 90s. I love the don't drone in a glass of water. I'm going to start using that. That's my favorite here. <laughs> we have to wrap this up. I'm sure you will be back on this show because there's plenty for the two of us to talk about and we connect so well. But as we wrap up, we talked about a lot of things today. Listeners, I hope you take some nuggets away that you can use in your everyday life or in business or in sales. For people who want to connect with you, Mitch, what is the best way for them to connect to you? You can go on MitchSavoyHill.com. Oh, is it Savoy and I called it Savoy? Savoy or Savoy, whatever whatever is comfortable. Okay, Mitch (laughs) Savoy Hill. Okay, say that one more time, the website. MitchSavoyHill.com. Okay. Or SavHillConsulting.com. Either okay. one of those will take you, or you can go straight on to the the book page of my. There's the book. Volar. <laughs> the book page is volarnow.com. Volar now. V O L. Volar now. Yeah, exactly. Volar now. All of this information will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to find this information. We like to say it so you can hear it for those of you who are learners by listening. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you saw a picture of the book and you see Savoie Hill Consulting signage behind Mitch. So that can help trigger you as well. Thank you, my friends, for being here today on the show. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Awesome. I love hearing that. (laughs) And thank you, listeners and viewers, for listening and watching this show. The Women Your Mother Warned You About brought to you by Sales Gravy. And of course, I got to mention Sales Gravy University because we continue to add more courses every day. I can't keep up with it. Every day I get a new notification of yet another new course. And some of these courses are just like five minutes long. They're micro courses. They're quick hits. And we have this all access pass that is ridiculously affordable, like $97 a month affordable. Ooh, that is affordable. Yeah, which gives you access to all of our on-demand courses and our live courses. And a lot of those courses are with me. So go check that out. Sales Gravy. They win. Yeah, right? Salesgravy.university. And of course, for the, more on me on the show, womenyourmotherwarnshabout.com. So we're out of here. 
and we'll see you on the next show. Bye, everybody. Bye.